0: Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. For those of you that are new listeners, tell you a little bit about the podcast. It's a place where we come together to talk about the Rimfire shooting sports, both handguns and rifles, as well as the gear that we use for the different sports, and also talking about the different types of matches, everything from Steel Challenge, to NRL 22, and a little bit of everything in between. I had someone ask me this week specifically what it is that makes the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group and the soon-to-be-launched Rimfire Tactical Forum, what is it that makes that different from all the other groups that talk about Rimfires, 22s and 17s and Everything um, along those lines, what makes it different? And, you know, it, it's funny because I've talked about it a lot. Um, but at the same time, I thought I really need to have a uh, a much better answer. And um, the same person that was asking me this was looking at uh, one of my rifles, which unfortunately uh, I had a I have a voodoo that I had to send in. Um, I felt like I had a couple of little issues that were minor and, uh, but I still thought, you know, Hey, it's sort of the off season. So I'm going to go ahead and send this thing in. And unfortunately, um, when it was shipped back from Voodoo, the, uh, the, the cheat piece on the adjustable stock, uh, uh it, it got broken. And, uh, so I was, you know, <laughs> a bit upset, uh, or frustrated, not, not upset, just frustrated with the scenario. And, uh you know it's in reality it's my fault um I left that uh cheek piece I left it not only uh in the stock but I also left it extended and I'm sure the folks at voodoo were just doing um doing what they thought was the right thing to do in leaving it that way so that i you know everything would match up and as soon as I got the rifle back, I'd be able to slap the scope on and go straight to the range. But anyway, I was telling this, uh, this fella, you know, I was, we were talking about it and I was showing him the rifle and, and he said, man, that doesn't look like any kind of 22 I've ever seen. And as we were talking about it and he was asking me some more questions about the rimfire tactical group and everything, it hit me that, you know, he now has a different definition of rimfire rifle after looking at that voodoo and a couple of others. And, uh, you know, seeing not only the rifles themselves, but the scopes that are on them, and everything, and it's completely different than what he has seen in the past. And um, now he thinks in turn or in totally different terms for rimfire. And so it hit me. You know, the new tagline that I'm going to use with this podcast and the forum, um, the Facebook group, and everything—it's it's redefining rimfire because that's really what we're doing. Um, we're redefining what people in the past have thought about rimfire rifles and handguns. You know, there was a point in time where a rimfire handgun was a cheap little revolver, little .22 revolver, uh, or maybe it was a cheap knockoff of um, some centerfire pistol. Uh, Now, that later changed, of course, with the Ruger Mark uh, one and two and, and the Mark threes and Mark fours and the Browning Buck marks and there were some definitely some nice handguns that were out there but but for the most part it was it was cheap or inexpensive twenty two revolvers that's what I would normally see and the same thing in terms of rimfire rifles I've talked in previous episodes countless times twenty twos were always sort of referenced as something that's just a twenty two. And since it's just a 22, it it shouldn't be, or it, or it should be, according to all the descriptions that I heard when I was young, it should be an inexpensive gun. It should be um, built to be very lightweight. It didn't have to be exceptionally accurate. It certainly didn't need to have any kind of higher end scope. It needed a basic little $29, $39, $49 scope from a big box store or something like that. And like I said, just having the conversation with that fellow and, and everything, it really sunk in that we are redefining rimfire, not, not only redefining rimfires in terms of the rifles and the scopes and the ammunition that we shoot, because let's face it, most of us now, When we're investing the type of funds into the guns, handguns, or rifles that we're shooting, a lot of us are investing a significant amount into much better scopes that are designed for more practical use. So there's lots of changes there. And across the board, what we're starting to see is those people that are spending more on the rifles spending more on the handguns spending more on the optics are spending more on ammunition, the ammunition they're buying. It's more of a match grade ammunition instead of something that's in a bulk box, 550 rounds to a box or something like that. And we're seeing this, this total redesign re um, refinement, call it what you will. We're, we're redefining what rimfire means in the modern, uh, sporting world. And as we've talked in a previous episode, given what's happened with the shot show recently and all the new d- developments that came out, it was completely, um, I won't say dominated because of course there was lots of other things that happened during the, the shot show, lots of new products that came out for, uh, both centerfire, shotguns, rifles, the whole deal. But, um, Quite a few people have referred to it as this is the year 2020. It's the year of the precision rifle, and specifically the Pre- precision rimfire rifle because of all the different uh, custom actions that are coming out. They're kind of following that voodoo footprint, uh, taking a or using a larger uh, AICS style magazine. Several of them are using the voodoo magazines. Others are using magazines that are similar but they're all going after that 22 trainer market and uh, you know, seeing the rim fire just completely um, redefined as going from something that was a, most of the time sort of referred to as something for women and children to now seeing it as something that is um, talked about you know, as a, a serious, uh, training tool and something that we are all, you know, looking to do more and more with that is as good as it gets. And the fact that we're able to do this and do it at a a time where we have more exposure than ever before due to the uh, the various social media platforms, all the different gun forums that are out there. It's, it's amazing how a product can go from being a concept to introduced and in a matter of hours being not just the talk of the industry or the community, like those people who are specifically in that little niche market, but to be the talk of the industry, and um, you know, I think we've talked time and time again. But Voodoo is a perfect example of that. They had the perfect timing coming onto the market right as NRL Twenty Two was taking off, and it's pretty much a match made in heaven there, <laughs> as far as that goes. But then to see um, this this whole thing happen, it's just again, it's redefining Rimfire, and I couldn't be happier to be a part of it. So. You know, that conversation, uh, as I mentioned, it really, um, it, it changed my thoughts even more. And, and it led into something that I, I started a post a few days ago in the Rimfire Tactical Group. Um, and, and I stopped and then I thought about it and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to post this question. Because having a conversation with this fellow, he, he was asking lots of questions. Um, they were very pointed questions. Um, he, he started off with saying he wanted a 22 rifle, just something to go out and target shoot a little bit with. And he was in a friend's gun shop, and just so happened that I came in, and the, the guys that worked there they were helping him and, you know, showing him what they had available and talking about other rifles that they could order for him. And, you know, trying to help him quite a bit. And they're very knowledgeable. They're re- really good guys. Um, but then I happened to walk in and one of them, uh, they they joke with me a lot uh, about, you know, being Mr. 22 or whatever. And they said, you really should talk to that guy because he's an idiot about 22s. He's he is a total nut when it comes to 22 rifles. But, you know, we we started talking about it, figuring out what it is that he wants to do. And did he want to just go out and shoot some targets? Did he want to possibly at some point compete? And as we're talking about the different rifles and things like that, he's constantly on his phone. He's Googling every single, um, not just manufacturer, but the models. He's Googling them, asking more and more questions. And, you know, sometimes he was uh, not very happy with what he was seeing as far as, you know, the cost associated with some of the different rifles, um, some of the scopes, because what he had been led to believe when he was younger um, was what I talked about before, you know, 22s are cheap. 22s are for kids. 22s are things you just go out and, you know, shoot rats at the dump or you go out and just um, shoot, you know, shoot walnuts off a tree or something. But they're not really anything that's precision. You know, they're they're not considered precision. And um, so, you know, as we're talking and he's looking at different models from CZ all the way up to uh, Anschutz and Voodoo. And looking at scopes, everything from loophole and Bushnell to uh, Nightforce and Schmitt and Bender and Collis, he he asked me. He said, "You know, I, I'm just curious. You know, clearly these guys uh, here they put a lot of of um, they put a lot of value in what you have to say because they were talking about you before you got here. That you're the guy that got them interested in this." he said, I'm just curious, man. He said, how many people have you gotten into uh, rimfire or shooting rimfires or 22s? How many people have you um, talked into this this little shooting sport? And, you know, it's funny. I, I've never really thought about it, you know, in terms of how many people are are shooting because of me or anything like that. And I don't think there's a huge number. I think there are a lot of people who do a much better job than I do. Uh, so I'm certainly not, this isn't a Pat Chris on the back type um, scenario, but what what I did start to think about was, you know, through the years as I have been at the range and other people have been there or I've been at a match and, you know, there's other shooters there there. If somebody's had questions or anything like that, you know, I've always tried to help and I think that's what we all do. Um, if somebody had a question about, you know, my rifle or scope or whatever, you know, I would obviously tell them as much as I could about it. But one of the things I've always felt was really important is, you know, I can tell you how, how the rifle feels or how the bolt, how smooth the bolt is or, or how great the trigger is or, or how how perfect the reticle on the scope is. I can tell you all those things, but that doesn't uh, give you nearly as much information as if you can sit down and look through that scope and work that bolt and pull that trigger and you know make a shot that maybe you didn't think you would make. Um, I remember once, uh, not that long ago, I was at a match and there was a gentleman there that, uh, he, from what he said, has shot rim fires for a long time, but his experience has always been shooting rim fires at a hundred yards and less. So he never shot past a hundred yards and really didn't think a 22 would be very accurate at any distance past that. But, um, he was asking questions about one of my voodoo's and so I told him, I said, sit down. I, I dialed the scope for 200 yards. Uh, actually it was 200. And, um, the target was at 205. And so, I, um, I dialed it, uh, gosh, I'm going off memory. I believe it's 6.1, 6.2 mils, something like that. And, uh, I told him, I said, you know, put the, uh, put the dot in the scope, put that dot on the target. I'm looking at the wind, hold, hold right edge just a little bit. And, uh, you know, whenever you're comfortable, go ahead and take that shot. And, you know, <laughs> the whole time he's telling me, yeah, "I don't think I, that a 22 will will make it that far," and all these different things. But when he pulled the trigger, and he heard the, the ting of the the bullet hitting the target, I mean, the look on his face was priceless. And, you know, he's he's turning around, and this this gentleman's easily the age of my father. And he's like, can I shoot it again? I was like, sure, go ahead. And, um, you know, it, those types of things happen uh, all the time. And, and I know they happen with, with lots of other people, not just myself. And, and what's really interesting about the rimfire sports, they're not any different than the centerfire sports. I've never been to a match of any sort where there weren't a lot of shooters there that were absolutely willing to take time. And talk with someone that was new, and help them, uh, you know, answer their questions. Maybe let them shoot their rifle, or you know, talk about ammunition or whatever. That's been the case in any match I've ever been to, whether it was shotguns, rifles, um, handguns, IDPA, USPSA, um, thousand yard F class. I've never had a, a scenario where I've been in a match and people weren't help as you know weren't willing to be helpful. I think what does stand out though in the rimfire world is the number of first-time shooters that tend to uh, be more prevalent at matches like this. And this is everything from adults to kids. And, you know, through the years, I think we all, if we really had a way to sit down and look at it, would probably say, well, we've helped a lot. Um, and and what's interesting is in that post that I i uh had in the facebook group i asked the question that i even said you don't have to answer this but have you ever thought about how much money you've spent on rimfire rifles rimfire handguns the scopes for those rifles the ammo for those rifles the stocks the chassis the extra magazines and it's really funny because let's face it none of us want to think about those things I certainly don't. I don't want to put a a dollar amount down and have to to really face the fact that, oh, my goodness, I have spent this much. But at the same time, you know, looking back, uh, what I've learned is that just like everything else in life, you get out of it what you put into it. And I think what we're seeing in the industry right now and have been for the last three or four years especially is you're seeing shooters uh, seasoned shooters that had maybe gotten away from competing or didn't necessarily feel like they could compete maybe in some of the uh, PRS type matches or they couldn't necessarily travel because depending on where you live you may have easy access to a PRS match in other areas. You may not. Um, I know in my area, I think the closest PRS match is probably around four to four and a half hours away, maybe five. So it's not something that's easy to just decide on a Friday, hey, the weather looks great. I'm going to go shoot this match. Um, you know, it, there's, there has to be quite a bit more planning go, going into it. But with the 22 matches, you still have to practice, but you're only shooting out, especially in the NRL 22, you're only shooting out to 100 yards. A lot of the other, uh, matches that are similar in nature to NRL 22 and, and even the, the matches that are, uh, sanctioned NRL 22 matches, there's typically extra stages that are going out to two and 300 and oh my gosh, man, how much fun is that? And I think we're seeing just a resurgence and lots of people who haven't shot in years that are starting to come back and shoot more and more and more because now it's more affordable. It's more feasible. Uh, things like that so this isn't you know a long episode but I I did want to talk about a little bit because I thought it was such an interesting conversation I was having with the gentleman you know talking about just a a complete mindset shift on what a 22 uh, rifle should be or is and um, and it's funny because then he said so let me guess um, you guys do the same thing with handguns I was like, well, you know, I'm not, I don't shoot handguns as much, Um, but yes, if you, if you talk to someone who is a uh, a diehard steel challenge shooter, you're going to find those folks that are shooting factory rifles or I'm sorry, factory uh, handguns, but you're also going to find a lot of people that are shooting a high end um, custom 22 pistol that is built from the ground up as a competition pistol and worth every single penny and you know at the end of the day let's face it that's what we all want we want something that's worth what we're paying for it and we want something that's going to provide all the fun and excitement that we're looking for when we're competing now something that uh, did come out of that conversation that he and I had was an idea that I've had for quite some time. And, you know, I'm not trying to take away from any of the other matches that are out there, but I was telling him about what I think would be just an absolute blast of a match format. And um, it's one that I've, I've thought of for years and, I think of it and call it a three gun, but not your traditional three gun match, which is typically some sort of an AR type rifle, uh, a pump or semi-auto shotgun and a handgun. But I've, I call three guns something completely different. And this is something that my buddies and I have done for years on and off and uh, between family commitments and, Work schedules and things. We don't get to do this nearly as much as we did when we were younger. But the three gun match that I have shot with my friends in the past is one that's based around a very very accurate 22 rifle. Almost always we have all shot bolt actions, but you could absolutely shoot it with a uh, an extremely accurate semi-auto, whether it's one that you've built off a kid uh, or I'm sorry, a, a Ruger 1022 action and you've built it up with swapping out stocks and barrels and triggers and all that good stuff. Or if it's, you know, one coming from kid or maybe you've done a, a Remington 597 build or, or whatever, you know, the case may be, but typically it's an extremely accurate 22 rifle um, like I said, almost always bolt actions. And on the stages where you're shooting that rifle, the targets may be anywhere from 25 yards. We've actually done as close as 15 before, but um, but typically, you know, a stage format, we've had 25 yards. And what we would do is we would have targets at varying distances, varying sizes, and typically um, try to keep the the range somewhere around 200, maybe 250 yards. Sometimes we would go past that to 300. Sometimes we were keeping it closer to 200, but we would have stages usually with 15 to 20 different targets. And we would always time the stage and, and it would vary from match to match. Um, And I call these matches. Like I said, it's just a bunch of guys getting together and shooting, but we would put lots of different targets out, everything from swingers to, um, you know, sometimes it would have some some silhouettes set up, um, some paper targets, just a blend of different targets. And under time, you would have to shoot some of the targets from prone, some of the targets from uh, positional state, you know, positions whether it's standing, kneeling, sitting. Um, Occasionally, we never did something we didn't do was we never really set up barricades. Um, I I never really, we never really thought about that. Uh, But what we would do is if we were shooting, especially at a farm, uh, a lot of times we used to shoot at one of our farms or something like that. But even if we were shooting at a range where we just were fortunate enough to be the only folks at the range, we would have some stages where instead of having a barricade, um, we would be leaning up against, if it was the farm, you know, we might be leaning against a uh, fence post using that as something to um, brace the rifle against. The same thing would hold true at the range. It might be the posts holding up the, uh, the, the roof over the, the covered shed or whatever. But, um, like I said, it's a combination of shooting prone, sitting, standing, uh, supported, um, sometimes shooting weak side versus strong side. And, uh, it's just so much fun to do that. But then the second gun that we would typically have would be a handgun. And we would try to set up stages within, um, The or or in similar formats to like an IDPA match or if you've ever shot uh, USPSA or IPSC, we would set up stages with targets. Some were paper, um, human silhouettes, B12, stuff like that. Um, Then I think B12, I may have that wrong. But uh, other times, you know, it might be, uh, again, some sort of metal swinger or something like that. So, think of it almost like a combination of uh, a steel challenge match where speed isn't, you know, is definitely counted because, again, just like in the other uh, stage, it's all being timed. And at the same time, you're shooting some targets where accuracy matters. Then you have some more generous sized targets. That is an area where you can pick up speed. Um, but at the end of the day, you're getting a chance to shoot a multitude of targets, typically around 20 or 25 yards out to, uh, usually what we would do is we would try to keep the, the targets somewhere between 25 to 50 yards. I know one guy that I, uh, he used to shoot with us and, um, thankfully he moved away uh, nah, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Dave, sorry about that. It's, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Dave's a really, really good, uh, handgun shooter. And so, yeah, we had to keep him in check because if we weren't careful on those, those targets that were farther out, he would, he would push the, the limits. You know, we're saying 75 and, you know, he goes out to set up those targets. And the next thing, you know, we start looking at it, man, it seems like those things are a long way out. And come to figure out or find out, you know, that he set the targets up at 100 yards or, you know, 95 or something like that. But he was a very accomplished handgun shooter, and typically he would eat our lunch on those stages. But, you know, in in just like with the first stage, lots of different targets, uh, paper, steel, uh, something that was always going to be uh, done on any of these stages was magazine changes the The format was not necessarily one that was, I guess, meant to be tactical in nature, but more practical and fun. And changing magazines—that was a big part of it. Um, you know, occasionally we would shoot with most of the time with with the handguns. Um, we started off shooting with just uh, the factory sites or maybe, you know, a couple of guys, I think had changed their up their sites, but, you know, we started also to shoot some uh, red dots and things like that. And, and, uh, I think the last time we shot, I believe every one of us had at least one handgun with a red dot of some sort and another handgun with open sights. And so we were running the course of fire with both just to see, what kind of a difference having the red dot would make and some guys that were uh, more accustomed to shooting handguns especially if they were shooting IVPA or something like with a carry optics type uh, handgun you know that that's what they're used to so they were very quick to pick up the dot and they were definitely speeding up Uh, others we were shooting about the same with a red dot as we were using just the irons because, you know, again, shooting, shooting handguns, not exactly, you know, my strong suit. I'm working on it this year, but that's, that's not been my strongest suit, but the final stage, uh, and, and this is where my version of three gun differs from, you know, what you would traditionally hear talked about as a three gun match is in my version of three gun. What we would do is we would have a third stage that was set up as a, uh, a semi-auto stage using a, a semi-auto rifle. And when we first started this years ago, 1022s were really the, that was the cream of the crop. Um, I mean, this is well before Smith & Wesson came out with the M&P fifteen twenty-two. And then all the other uh, AR clones that are out there. It's before those became popular, or even made for that matter. Back in those days, if you wanted an AR-15 style rifle shooting a .22 long rifle, you were just going to buy a conversion bolt and a conversion magazine and use your factory barrel. Um, that was essentially what you're going to do. So the 1022s, a lot of times those were put into different stocks, sometimes they were using factory stocks. That's what I always did, I left mine in factory stocks, but um, they were set up to uh, typically we were never using or I never used the factory 10 round magazines. These stages, we always set these up with a very high round count. So we were normally always burning through at least 50 rounds on a stage and I know for anybody that, uh, that's listening to this, when you have shot NRL 22 matches and different matches like that, you know, the round counts that I'm talking about seem ridiculous because, you know, in an, in, in an NRL match, you have five stages with 10 rounds each. So, you know, in an entire match, as far as NRL is concerned, you're shooting, you know, essentially one box of ammo, i'm talking about burning through one box of ammo in a, in a sequel stage and actually i'm talking about doing uh close to that in three different stages uh, but that's what we would do and so back in those days the old butler creek uh, those uh, 25 round magazines that they made the clear ones and the smoked colored ones uh, that's what we used. and then through the years, each of us have added on some Smith & Wesson M&P 1522s and, and some different uh, different rifles like that. But with these stages, think of it very similar to the AR platform or the AR um, stages that would be in a normal three-gun match. Uh, the targets, again, range from about 25 yards out to typically on this uh, this stage – We would always run the targets out to at least 100 yards, sometimes 125. Um, You know, a very similar format, quite frankly, to what you would shoot with the handgun, only we would reduce the time limit a bit because we were all using 25-round magazines. So you really only had typically one magazine change unless you had a malfunction. And you're saving time from changing magazines there. Because with the handguns, it was always 10 round magazines. And uh, unless you were shooting, uh, I know I, occasionally I would use one of my Smith Wesson 422s or one of my 41s. And uh, I have several of the 12 round magazines. But let's face it, you know, for the most part, 10 round magazines are, are what you're going to get with the 22 handguns. And um, so, anyway, we would, you know, take that, uh, that course of fire, uh, the layout being very similar to what we would shoot the handguns with and we would just uh, cut down on the time to shoot that stage. Because again, like I said, you're saving time on magazine changes. You're also, uh, I think most people would agree. uh, You're, most people are faster with a hand, with a uh, rifle, uh, especially at distance than a handgun. And, um, you know, we would shrink the target sizes a bit. We'd still have some, some of the ones that were bigger, but we also would have a lot that were smaller and and typically with the scopes what we were doing there um a couple of guys would shoot red dots uh several of us shot magnified optics um for a long time. I shot a uh, uh had a loophole one to four scope that worked really well uh I, later on i I bumped things up a little bit and and put a uh, gen two razor. Uh, one to six, I believe it was, on uh, my MP 1522 uh, Performance Center. The last time that we shot, but you know, what's what's neat about it is, it seemed like it was just a tremendous amount of fun for us to go out, and yes, we were definitely shooting, you know, quite a few rounds, um, but we're getting we're getting a lot of trigger time in on different disciplines. And I can definitely tell you that when I was shooting this more often and practicing for it, I was definitely a better handgun shooter for sure. But what, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm telling this, this guy in the gun shop about this type of match, he's just like, man, that sounds amazing. That sounds like that's, that would be so much fun. And, and you know, it got me thinking about it because like I said, we haven't shot it in quite some time. Um, Dave moved, um, Jeremy's constantly, you know, working. It seems I've constantly got travel things coming up with work and all this different stuff. So, you know, there's lots of different things that, that keep it from happening, but that format was always just a lot of fun. And what we did with the last couple of get togethers that really took it up another level or another notch as far as just the fun factor was we set up um, these courses of fire, we tried to leave targets up. And instead of, you know, having the rifle targets and then taking those down and putting everything up for the handguns and then taking those down and putting everything up for the, the semi-autos. And so the last couple of times we got together, we tried to leave as many targets out as we could. And then um, we we started basically uh coating them, painting them a certain color. And so what we would do: blue was for bolt action, um, red was for semi-auto, and then on the uh, handguns, the targets that were not painted. What we would do is we would we would just spray some red, or spray some blue, or spray some green. Green was for handguns. We would um, get the just put a, you know a splash of paint on to identify the targets, and then you know when the timer would go off you could choose shoot handgun first shoot semi-auto shoot bolt gun whatever you prefer but the goal was within the time frame that we would set we played with the time you know sometimes we we would cut the time down or bump the time up but you could engage targets in any order you wanted we didn't specify bolt action then semi-auto then handgun we gave the shooter the choice and what was key is if you were smart you went with whatever you you shot best and that's what you were going to use first because you know 10 or 15 hits with a bolt action is worth a lot more points than five hits and 20 misses with the semi-auto or or the handgun or whatever um but like I said as i'm as i'm telling this fellow about it you know, i'm telling him how we used to do those matches and everything, he's like, man, when can I get into one like that? And, you know, it, it's, it got me thinking again about how I would love to put something like that together. Um, but what's great, and this is what I was able to share with him. What's great is that he doesn't need for me to put together a match like that because there are a ton of different matches that are happening all around the country now between NRL 22. Um, uh, I know, uh, I saw something not long ago. I believe there's there's a series on the East Coast, I believe it's called the Mars Series. I believe it's Mid-Atlantic Rimfire Series. I believe that's what's it's called. Um, you know, there's all these different uh, matches that are happening. Altus has theirs, um, just gobs of different matches. And a lot of them follow an NRL 22 format. And, and a lot of them are actually NRL 22 matches. But then they're having those additional stages that are stretching the distance out. Uh I've I've seen several match directors talking about having handgun stages, different things like that. And so it's so cool as I I you know talking with this gentleman about it, that you know, I'm telling him how we, we did things uh for several years, but it was just us getting together and like I said, kind of burning through ammo. Um and now somewhat of a similar format is happening all over the place. The biggest difference I can see is like I said, there's not really, um, you know, the, the precision rifle, which like I said, was mostly, it was always, almost always bolt actions, but you know, there's not a different stage for the precision versus like the semi autos, which we valued speed more there. And you could shoot, uh, in that's the semi auto, uh, stages, Some you know we we tried different things through the years. Sometimes we'd try shooting prone, um, but it felt like it was more fun shooting from a uh, a standing position, and you know, or or braced against a fence post or a tree or or whatever the case may be from time to time. And um, something I wish we had done, but we didn't do nearly enough of it. We didn't move a whole lot at the time. Um, You know, we might move ten or twelve feet left and right, but we weren't doing a, um, you know, we didn't set up like 55 gallon drums to, you know, shoot from behind or different things like that. Now, as I look at all these different types of matches that are out there, it seems like there's so many more things that we could have done, but, you know, at the time we thought we were pretty hot stuff, just the way we were doing it. But, you know, at the end of that conversation, it was it was really interesting because uh, I mean, I feel like the gentleman I was talking with he took away some you know some information and uh, you know he was going to do some more homework before deciding what rifle he was going to buy and and trying to figure out when he could go and check out an n r l match uh, he's going to go home and watch some YouTube videos and some stuff like that of the different matches and you know told him gave him my info, so he could give me a shout and told him he's welcome to go to the range with me anytime but but really it was it was kind of wild because all I kept thinking about afterwards was, man, I got more out of this conversation uh, uh, I'm sure than he did, because now I keep thinking about all those things we used to do that were so much fun, and things that um, we can do again, and you know things that could be a part of the matches that I'm already shooting that we could add some other stages in and things like that, and so you know all that being said. It just, it's, it's interesting how here we are coming back to that central or that, that first comment that I made, you know, after all these years of shooting rim fires and having so much fun, here we are redefining rim fire again. I mean, rim fires to me, when I first started out, like I said, cheap, inexpensive guns, um, something to plink with, but certainly not something that you would go out and, and really, consider um, anything worth you know investing a lot of money into, and now I know a lot of shooters, myself included, who probably spend more on shooting their rim fires than they do their centerfires. and it 's all because we've redefined what the rim fire rifles and handguns and optics and ammunition should be, and we're doing so much more with it, so with all that said. Um, Head on over to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. Head on over to RimfireTactical.com. If you're not a member of the Facebook group, go ahead and join. It's an awesome group. We're over 5,600 members, I believe now, 5,613 as of a few minutes ago. And, you know, we're constantly growing. The Rimfire Tactical page, uh, RimfireTactical.com, the forum We'll, we're still beta testing a few different things. And so it's not live yet, but, uh, there's, there's some different blog posts and things that are there. Feel free to read through those. Let me know what you think. Um, you know, comment. If you have suggestions for the podcast, you can send me an email. It's contact at com. Or yeah, there's also uh, a thread in the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group where I'm always looking for input on what you'd like to discuss on the podcast. So with all that being said, I wanna talk one last thing, or one one last thing here about the uh, the sponsor of the podcast. Uh, It's getaccuratepayments.com. And I know I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but for those of us in the firearms industry and business owners in general, taking credit card payments from our customers is something that's a necessity but certainly not something that is often that easily explained and unfortunately for those of us in the firearms world it is definitely not something that is uh, as easy to do as other industry types a lot of software companies and credit card processing companies are not second amendment friendly and in fact Uh, exactly the opposite of that have been known to not only withhold money from businesses that have taken credit card payments from their customers if that business is uh, related to the firearms industry, but in some cases, not only have have they held the money of the business, but they've also even refunded uh, money to the business's customers. And so getaccuratepayments.com is a pro Second Amendment credit card processing company. They're happy to help out anyone in the uh, firearms industry. They work with clients both in e commerce as well as retail stores. And if you're a business owner, whether you're a business owner in the firearms industry or not, head on over to getaccuratepayments.com. You can fill out the contact form, someone from their staff be happy to reach out to you talk about the options that they have available and see if they're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for them again that's getaccuratepayments.com all right guys we're gonna wrap up this week this is been a uh, kind of a rambling episode but one that I've uh, I've thought about for the last several days just because like I said that conversation really spurred lots of memories of how much fun those matches were Um, and how much fun they could be again. So let me know your thoughts about that type of match and any other match uh, that, that you've done for fun. With all that being said, go out, have fun, shoot a bunch. Remember, it's Rim 5 Tactical. It's not just a 22. Cheers.